So a, a rich man goes to his pastor and says, um, Pastor, I want you and your wife to go on an all-expenses-paid vacation to the Holy Land for three months. And while you're gone, um, I'm going to do something amazing for our whole church. pastor says, okay, that sounds great. I'll do that. So the pastor and his wife leave for three months. When he comes back, um, the rich man meets him at the airport. He says, um, I've built a whole new building for our church. It is state-of-the-art. It is everything you can possibly imagine. Pastor says, wow, that was, that's amazing. In three months, that's, that's incredible. So uh, they go to the site of the old building, and there is this new gorgeous edifice, uh, just everything you could possibly imagine. Uh, they walk inside, and the sanctuary is beautiful, but there's one odd component the pastor notices. There's only one pew, and it's in the very back of the church. And the pastor says, it's a beautiful building, but you only put one pew in. And the rich man says, no, wait, just, just wait. So, Sunday morning, people start showing up. Um, they, early arrivals get there, and they sit in the back pew. And when the pew is full, a little bell rings, and then seatbelts come out, and the pew advances automatically by itself all the way to the front of the church. And then a new pew appears in the back, right? The pastor is pretty impressed. So, uh, by the time the church is full from front to back, the pastor starts preaching the sermon, uh, and uh, the, pastor, the pastor looks at the rich man before the service starts. He says, wonderful. That's just marvelous. So the pastor starts preaching his sermon. He gets a little excited, maybe a little carried away, new church, uh, all this wonderful stuff. And so um, he is really just hitting his stride when 12 o'clock rolls around and the service is supposed to end. And so for a second time, there's a little ding, and then behind uh, the pulpit, a trap door opens. <laughs> and the whole congregation says, wow, that's wonderful, that's marvelous. <laughs> okay, I got, I got one more. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, this is brag on the pastor day. So, after a very long and boring sermon, the church members sort of filed out of the church. This is not the technological tradition to church. The, the church members filed out of the church building saying nothing to the pastor. Um, finally, at the end of the line, there was a particularly thoughtful congregation member who always had something to say about the message. And so, uh, as this congregation member is walking out, she looks to the pastor and she says, Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God. And the pastor was thrilled. He said, no one's ever said that to me before. Please say more. She says, well, it reminded me of the peace of God because it surpassed all understanding. And it reminded me of the love of God because it endureth forever. <laughs> so, uh, I, we have a lot of jokes about how long sermons can go and how boring they can be. Uh, and uh, we have all sat through or perhaps preached some of those sermons ourselves. And uh, it is a reasonable thing to say, hey, in the context of a message, we really hope that you will keep us engaged, right? We hope you'll do something that draws us back in because just listening to a whole bunch of rules and regulations is not very engaging. Uh, and so, when we come to the preaching of Jesus, we often look at His parables and we say, ah, here's Jesus doing that. Here's Jesus trying to engage the people with stories and illustrations, uh, not to be uh, long and boring, but to be uh, interesting and, and, and thoughtful. 
And, and I think there's a lot of truth in that, actually. I think there's a lot of truth. I think that Jesus in His parables absolutely intends to draw people in, to get them more engaged, uh, to ask them to think deeply about the topics upon which He's speaking. However, we often think that the whole idea of parables is to give an illustration that makes a point, right? To make it easier to understand His message. But Jesus says that's the opposite of the reason that He preaches in parables. So, yes, absolutely, He preaches in parables to draw people in, to get them interested. But then He says, everything comes in parables for those outside, meaning not the disciples and His followers, in order that, quote, they may look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Jesus says, hey, I actually preach in parables not just because stories are interesting and keep you from being bored. I preach in parables to make it harder for you to understand me. That's kind of weird, right? It's a weird motivation to say, hey, I want to make it more challenging for people to understand what I came to say. Uh, Jesus throughout the whole gospel of Mark, has this idea uh, that he wants to be in charge of um, the way he is understood. And we, we kind of get this in, in our world of social media and 24-hour news cycles. Uh, I am always terrified every time our church is on the news, right? Even when it's almost always for a good thing. We had an anti-trafficking thing here a little while ago, and we got on the news, and it was a very good report. But I'm just terrified when that's happening because I know that we can be perceived in wildly different ways than we intend to be perceived, right? We've all had that experience. And I think Jesus is very intentional about saying, um, I don't want you to understand my message unless you understand me. I don't want you to walk away thinking that you can know the kingdom of God without knowing its king. And I don't want you to think that you can understand the secrets of the kingdom of God without a relationship with me. And so, Jesus actually lays this out explicitly to the disciples. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, no, they get it in parables. And in the end, we're told, He speaks to the crowds in parables, but He explains everything in private to His disciples. A big idea, Jesus says, you cannot come to know God outside of a relationship with Me. And so, it would not do you any good if I explained all of the deep truths that I want my disciples to understand if you're not committed to following me first, because that is the way that you come to know what it means to live in relationship with God and each other properly. That's how you come to know the kingdom of God. You need a relationship with the King. So, uh, in this uh, set of teachings. We, we really hear this on two levels. We hear it on the level of the crowds, and we hear it on the level of the disciples. Um, since many of us, maybe most of us, uh, maybe all of us have made a decision already to see Jesus as our King, um, I, I want to think about these stories today on the level of the disciples, on, on the level of these secrets of the kingdom of God that He's trying to articulate to His followers. But please understand that getting these 
concepts or principles and divorcing them from relationship with God will not do you any good, right? Uh, it is when they're brought together with our, our following the King that they begin to have fruit and bear life in our lives. Okay, so three, three big parables that Jesus tells. He tells the parable of the sower of the seed, the parable of the stalk that grows up, and the parable of the mustard seed. Let's talk with each one of those. Uh, let's talk first about the parable of the sower. Um, such, an interesting, such an interesting parable. Um, by the way, I mean, they're all related, right? They're all on this topic of sowing seed. And um, this is a, an Old Testament theme that comes up again and again that God um, sows and gives life. Um, so, uh, this first parable is weird. All the parables are intended to be weird. It's weird because the seed goes everywhere, right? If, if you're a farmer and you're sowing seed on your sidewalk, you're doing a bad job, right? If you're a farmer and you're sowing seed and you know that there's just a whole bunch of rocks and a whole bunch of thorns, it's like you're just wasting your time, right? So, this is a weird parable. They're all intended to be um, a little bit off-putting or confusing uh, I, I think what Jesus wants us to recognize, um, the soils represent us, right? Different ways we can respond to God's message in Christ. I think Jesus wants us to recognize uh, that all three of the bad kinds of soil have something in common. They're all kind of distracted. So, Jesus comes to say, hey, let me tell you about what it means to live in right relationship with God and each other. Let me tell you what it means to be in my kingdom. Uh, and there is a competing message. I mean, there's Jesus' message that He's sowing to everybody. Then there's a competing message. The whole story of the Gospel of Mark is about Jesus pushing out the kingdom of darkness. Uh, so, the kingdom of darkness has its own gospel. The problem is that God's message is just obviously superior right? Uh, nobody is ever going to sit down and say, hey, on the one hand, I have the message of God which says, love your neighbor as yourself, and put God first in your life, and be generous, and be brave, and be kind, and be selfless. And on the other hand, I have a message that says, um, you are the center of your own universe, and it doesn't matter about other people, and don't treat them well, and use them as objects. And nobody looks at those two messages and weighs them evenly and says, oh, I like the bad message better. What happens is we get distracted. So, uh, in those first three sets of soil, we have Satan snatching up the seed before it can take root in the path. We have the uh, rocky ground where the trouble of life, the bad things in our lives distract us and keep us from planting root. And then we have the thorny ground where the good things in life grow up and keep us from being focused on God. In all of those situations, we are offered an option between a focus on Christ that yields fruit and harvest and a distraction from the good message of God to lesser things. Uh, I, I think this is huge. We are, I think, the most distracted culture in the history of the world, right? Uh, we can all agree with that. Um, we've been doing this uh, devotional with the church, um, daily devotional on our phones about the problems of our phones. Uh, and and uh, I, I read a statistic this week in that devotional that said that the average American picks up their phone 344 times a day. That's a lot of times a day. By the way, if you aren't sure about that, you can go on your phone. If you've got an iPhone, there's a screen time setting. It tells you how many times you picked it up every day. Um, I won't tell you how many times I picked it up yesterday. Um, the average American spends uh, three hours a day or more on their phone. 
That adds up to be, over the course of a year, a month and a half. That's a lot of time. Sometimes we're doing great things. Sometimes we're reading our Bibles or calling our parents or um, doing work. A lot of times it's just distraction, isn't it? Even when we're trying to do good things, we find ourselves being distracted. Oh, I got a text message. Oh, I got to check my Twitter feed. Oh, I need to see if anyone liked my picture on Instagram. Oh, I wonder if I got another email. Oh, I wonder if I got another… It's this constant source of distraction. And um, I think it is because we are terrified of being bored. Uh, If you've got young kids, that's the most terrifying thing your kids can tell you. I'm bored. Well, quick, do something. Go away. Like, have a computer. I don't care. Leave me alone. Um, we, We are terrified of being bored, and so... Um, we distract ourselves constantly. Uh, I listened to a really good podcast last week that talked about this a little bit, and they said um, we are both the most distracted culture in the history of the world and also the most under-stimulated. It's a really interesting idea because we think we're overstimulated, right? I have all these things all the time that want my attention. Um, this author suggested that um, we are under-stimulated because the things that are demanding our attention don't matter. And we know they don't matter, so they can't keep our attention very well. Um, What's more exciting, climbing a mountain or watching a TikTok about someone climbing a mountain? I mean, climbing a mountain, you'll talk about it for the rest of your life. Watching a TikTok, you'll watch it for one minute, two minutes, and you go on to the next video, right? Because it just doesn't stimulate you. Part of um, the, the challenge that Christ is calling the disciples to recognize is that the enemy's message is not usually, let's be bad for badness sake. The enemy's message is usually, hey, let's just get you distracted from things that matter. Let me give you a lot of things that don't matter in your life, and I'll just throw them at you so fast and so heavy that you won't even notice they don't matter until you one day wake up and realize, wow, all of that time got wasted and I feel understimulated. I feel like I haven't done anything great with my life. Jesus says, hey, you are designed to do great things, but you can't achieve them without focus. You're designed to do eternally significant things, but you cannot achieve them without focus on the Word of God. And so, um, maybe the first thing that Jesus calls us to do is to refocus on Him every day and on His kingdom and to say to ourselves, maybe at the very beginning of our day, what am I going to do today with Jesus that matters? What am I going to do today with Jesus that has some kind of value, maybe eternal value? Because all the distractions are only there to keep me from doing what Christ wants me to do, which is like love people and love God and build out the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so first, simple, um, I think Jesus is calling His disciples uh, to a life of focus instead of a life of distraction, focus on Him and His kingdom. Uh, The second parable we get is this really weird parable. I can't tell you how often I've skipped over this one. We call it the parable of the growing seed. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, he at once goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. All parables are designed to sound weird. This one sounds weird because there's like no action in it, right? I mean, he 
puts the seed out, but that's not the main part of the story. The main part of the story is this plant growing. This is literally a story about grass growing and watching it grow, right? Uh, it, it's not an exciting one. Uh, and so, I think Jesus has another incredibly important concept for us here. I think Jesus wants us to recognize there is some value in, um, well, I would have said delayed versus instant gratification. Um, I, I have a I have a bad habit. I have a lot of bad habits. One of my bad habits is um, I do not like to, I, I feel like I have a busy work life. I don't like to be out of the office very long unless I'm, you know, doing something for somebody in the church. And so, um, usually I treat myself to go out to get lunch, and I can't tell you how often I go to McDonald's to get lunch, and partly because they have sweet tea, which is, you know, God's gift to man, but partly because it's fast, right? And the idea of like sitting in line for 10 minutes at Subway to get a sandwich is exhausting for me. I want my food. I want to get back to work. Um, I need it like now, right? And, and this is a parable about the exact opposite mentality. This is a parable about, hey, let's sit and watch this plant grow. Uh, so, I told you a story years ago about uh, a, a test that was done at a Stanford University on preschoolers about marshmallows. You guys remember this story? Um, short version of it is they brought a whole bunch of preschoolers in. They said, hey, I'll give you a marshmallow now, and you can just have it. Or if you wait, I don't know how long it was, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, I will give you two marshmallows. Few people that are not math majors, that's twice as many marshmallows, right? <laughs> and so um, most kids, as you would imagine, were like, I'll just take the marshmallow now, and they did. But some kids waited, and they got two marshmallows at the end. And they followed up with those kids years later, like years and years later. And there were all these incredible positive outcomes for the kids who delayed their gratification. Um, so, um, those kids that ate two marshmallows because they waited tended to have higher SAT scores and a lower body mass index 30 years after their initial test. Researchers found that parents of the high delayers reported their kids were more confident, competent than parents of the instant gratifiers, even if they didn't know how many marshmallows their kids got. Uh, and so, we've been talking for all these years about um, delayed versus instant gratification. I don't think that's what this parable is about. Uh, actually, I don't think that's what that marshmallow study is about. I read an article this week in Psychology Today um, about some follow-up studies that were done. Super interesting, right? So, stay with me for a minute. Um, they found out that those who um, delayed gratification… Um, weren't really saying, I'm not going to eat the marshmallow, I'm not going to eat the marshmallow, I'm not going to eat the marshmallow, right? Like, don't think of a pink elephant. That's not an effective strategy. What they found is that those who succeeded in waiting were finding other ways to gratify themselves until they reached a bigger goal. Uh, so, for example, instead of simply grinning and bearing it and jogging while you hate it so you can get in shape, people who have a goal of exercising like find a friend to jog with or go take a Zumba class instead of jogging, right? So they get in shape because they make themselves enjoy the process. Uh, college students who end up becoming uh, incredibly successful in their careers focus on the satisfaction they feel every time they learn something new or, or the satisfaction they feel out of cracking open a book instead of a beer, right? We, they, they set these little goals that they enjoy and love that lead them on to a bigger goal. Um, other research has said uh, this is 
related to a predictor of work engagement called the progress principle, um, which is basically this idea that at work, we don't respond best because our bosses are nice to us or because they give us more money. At work, we respond best because we feel like we're making progress on a project that matters. If we feel like we're making progress on a project that matters, we stay engaged. Uh, And so, it's really not about delayed gratification, it's about directed gratification. It's about saying, hey, at every step on this process, I see God's ultimate goal in my life, but I also see um, the, the fruit of that goal on every step of the way. I see first the stalk and I get excited about the stalk, and then I see the head, and I get excited about the head, and then the full grain in the head, and I get excited about the full grain in the head, and then it's time for the harvest. Um, that we are designed to be people that do work that matters. It requires focus, and it requires this ability to direct our gratification to say, hey, at every step along this process, I will find joy in the work that God has given me, that I will engage in work that matters with Jesus until we get to that final celebration point. Okay, uh, big picture. Jesus says these are not principles that are going to have great value outside of a life with Him. Um, but in a life with Him, focusing and not living a life of distraction, finding um, this ability to direct gratification towards small objectives with a big goal instead of living a life of instant gratification, these are huge for us in our spiritual life. The third one that Jesus has for us is this parable of the mustard seed. And I think quite simply, this is a parable about quality over quantity, right? Quite simply, Jesus says, hey, let me show you how small the kingdom can start. We said with our kids this morning, it started with one man, that's true, one man whose um, life was lost, who was quite literally buried in the ground, who sprung up from the ground with new life, kind of like a seed. Um, But that's not the whole message of this story. Uh, It's not just about the number of people in the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God taking root in our lives. And that happens, and that starts really, really small. I'm a big Star Wars fan. And I got to, for a minute, remind you of the story in Empire Strikes Back when Luke's trying to raise his X-Wing out of the swamp. It didn't go well. It's the try, do it or not passage, right? Not a passage. That's in the Bible. It's the scene. Um, Star Wars Bible. And uh, after he comes back, he, he sits down next to Yoda. He's all exhausted. He says, I can't do it. It's too big. I can't do it. And Yoda says, size matters not. Judge me by my size, do you? And well, you should not. And I I think Jesus might say, hey, look at the smallest acts of faith and trust that you've made in your life. Maybe you don't have to become a foreign missionary in a, a country where Christianity is illegal and risk your life to spread the gospel. Maybe you don't have to um, become a pastor or go to seminary. Um, Maybe all it takes are these very small acts of faith and trust in Jesus for something incredible to grow up in your life. Size matters not. Um, Mother Teresa says, none of us can do great things, just small things with great love. Some of the mustard seeds in our lives are as simple as deciding that we're going to pray together before meals, 
or making a daily time to read our Bible or committing to give a percentage of our income away to God and to the poor or talking to a neighbor or a friend or a coworker about your church and your faith and your Lord. In all of those places, Jesus says, hey, it just takes a mustard seed, right? I don't need you to be a, a Christian superhero. I just need you to have the smallest amount of trust and hope in me because the potential is in the seed, right? The potential is not in you. It's not you who have the ability to make great things happen. The potential is in the seed, in that little bit of trust, and that little bit of faith, and to believe that Christ can do great things in and through you. It's a quality not a quantity. It's a decision to prioritize Christ and His kingdom in your life. So, three really simple, really eternally significant things. Christ calls us to a life of focus uh, on Him and His kingdom, not a life of distraction. He calls us to a life of directed gratification, small steps towards His great coming future. And He calls us to small acts of great quality. These are these tools that Jesus gives us to know Himself and know His kingdom. Jesus says that all secrets will be revealed to those who wish to know. He says, all of these great tools that I'm giving you, disciples, they're for everybody. They're not just for you. But those who don't seek, even what they thought they have will turn out to be useless. That the, the best pieces of spiritual wisdom divorced from relationship with God ultimately don't help us that much. So what He invites us to do with every parable is to make a choice, right? He invites us to make a choice. Will we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we don't get it. We want more. Jesus, we don't get it. We want to be with You because You have the words of eternal life. And by asking Jesus for more, the disciples prove their disciples. By asking Jesus for more, they get it, right? That's all He invites us to do today. We don't have to understand all of the deep truths of our faith. We don't have to be spiritual geniuses. We just have to be people who are not consumed with distraction or impatience who are not worried that a little bit of faith is inadequate, who are committed to just go to Jesus. And Jesus says, um, if we go to Him, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. Thanks be to Him.